it just helps. <laughs> it really does. Uh, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. We'll pray, and we'll, we'll turn to see what the Lord has to say to us today. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16. Jesus is in the middle of a, a discussion of, of how they are to, uh, how his disciples are to conduct themselves in the matter of their own religious expression. Not what they believe, but how they respond in grace and faith to the work of God in their lives. And so he has discussed giving, he's discussed praying, and he moves on to fasting. This is what Jesus says. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning thankful for the Savior, Jesus, who coming to redeem sinful humanity, sinners like us, came and gave his own life. Having lived a perfect life, he went to the cross so that those who are riddled with imperfections, those who are utterly ruined by their sins, could receive from him perfect righteousness when we confess our own sins, confess our need for a Savior, and put our faith and trust in Jesus. We are thankful for that work because we are, as we just sung, prone to wander, prone to leave. The Bible says that, that you created men upright, God, but we have pursued various schemes. We go astray in so many ways. Even when we are focused on you and seeking to do what is good and true and right, there is a way in which our sinfulness creeps in and ruins it. So much so that we must say, as our brother Scott read earlier, that though we strive toward the righteousness and perfection of Christ, we cannot say that we have already obtained it. Because our sinfulness and fallenness is always there with us, ruining what we're doing. And yet, we're thankful. We're thankful that your love does not depend on our performance, but is there because of your character. Ephesians speaks of the great love with which you love us. We can also be thankful for the righteousness of Christ that you will never leave us or forsake us because our security before you, Father, when we stand in your presence is the perfection of Christ, not the perfection of ourselves. We also have hope because you've given us your word and the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit speaks to us through the word and points the way and encourages us forward. And so we're thankful for this word. 
Father, I pray in our fallenness that we would not twist and distort what you're saying. But instead that we would see the good in this text and we would say, yes. And we would pursue you with faithfulness and joy. Living in a way that pleases you. Father, we thank you for your kindness and speaking to us. And we pray your blessing on our time in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we all have a, uh, a distaste for counterfeits. I've never, um, I've never run across a, a counterfeit bill. You know, that's never happened to me where I had $100 and someone's like, this isn't good. You know, they, you ever experienced that moment of tension or nervousness when you're in Walmart and you're checking out and you hand in a large bill and they break out that pen and you're like, oh, what if? Like, what if this bill is bogus? I have gotten Canadian money, though, before, right? You know, like, they, you, you know this. You, you're you're on, in the checkout line, and they give you that bogus quarter, and then you try to put it in a machine, and it keeps coming out, and you're like, what's up with that? You know, like, give me my soda. And then you look at the money, and you're like, oh, there's a queen on that. You know, like, I can't use that. Counterfeits. Let's talk about, let me, let me share about four counterfeits that you might know nothing about. Did you know, you knew this, that white chocolate is not chocolate? It's not. There's no, there's no chocolate ingredients in it. It's, I mean, it doesn't taste like chocolate. Someone's like, oh, it's white chocolate. It's like, blah. Crab meat, you ever seen that? You know, it's gotta be like genuine lump crab. Crab meat is actually fish flakes. Fish flakes. <laughs> That makes me think of fish food. Starch, egg whites, crab flavoring, which they mix together in this like paste, which they then cut up. And you know what they do then? They spray half of it orange. So a lot of times when you go like for sushi and you're getting it at Royal Farms and you're like, oh, it's California roll. You're buying your sushi at, Cal at Royal Farms. You know, that is not crab meat in there. It's not. It's fish flakes. Red velvet cake. It's red food coloring and cocoa powder. But people are like, oh, it's red velvet. It's, like, that's, it's just a color. Like, it could be green velvet, you know? If you eat sushi, wasabi, right? Apparently, genuine Japanese wasabi loses its flavor within minutes of being shaved. They shave it. Like, but but uh, Americans, we have figured out a way to make wasabi last longer, and all it is is mustard, horseradish, and that chartreuse food coloring, you know, that gives it that. And we're like, oh, I love wasabi. You're eating the wrong thing. It's fake. Which is what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He's talking about exposing counterfeit religion, counterfeit expression of faith in action. Faith is, is what we believe about God. You, people, people don't like the word religion because it has overtones of organized church and manipulation. But, but religion, technically speaking, in, in the writing of, of the Puritans and the Reformers, is, is that which we render back to God. Oh, we can't render anything back to God. That's works. No, no, no. God calls us to, to share our faith, to pray, to read. These are religious acts. They are the expression of our faith. In a, in a concrete way. And Jesus is teaching here that there is a counterfeit religion and a true religion. 
when we, when we give, right, and we, we give in such a way as to blast a trumpet in front of ourselves, look at what I'm giving. Jesus says that's counterfeit. It's being done to earn applause in the eyes of people, not to, not to earn the approval and smile of God. Well done. When we, when we pray using fancy phrases or repetitive words so that we might be heard, or we, we pray formulas thinking that some way that's, that we're going to manipulate God, that is counterfeit as well. Jesus says there is a way to take the discipline of fasting and to turn it into that which is cheap and inauthentic and empty. Let's, let's just give a, a, a brief thought to the actual concept of fasting. What is it? Uh, fasting, typically, throughout, uh, throughout world history, uh, practiced by a number of religions, is going without food. That's simply the, the definition of it. Uh, typically, uh, Christian fasting involves, for some designated period of time, setting aside eating food, that we might pray, meditate on God's word, and focus on God's intents and purposes in our life. Uh, Christians, I think in some ways, have rightly mixed other things into fasting, and now people talk about fasting from technology. They'll talk about fasting from uh, from, from particular kinds of food instead of food in general. Some people will talk about going on a juice fast or an absolute fast. Or, uh, there, there, there are no hard and fast rules in the scriptures of exactly what it looks like, although some of the examples that we have would be considered quite extreme today. And we'll talk about the longer fasts later on. There is a right and a wrong way to fast, though, and it doesn't come down to the actual technique you're using. It comes down to the intent of the heart. It's not just about what you do or don't eat or the length of the fast. But when it all comes down and we're, we're, we're done talking this morning, this is what I'd like you to, to walk away with, this idea from this text. We fast not for the world to see, not for others to see, but we fast for God to see that our hunger for God might increase and to fight off our interior weaker desires so that our appetite will be under control and be for what we really need. So we see the counterfeit verse the real. Jesus is going to focus first on the fake kind of fasting. Have you ever picked up a, a pay attention to me vibe from someone where, where you're, you're having a conversation about something like you, you get together and you just get this, you get this feeling. They're like checking you in the conversation and they're like, I want to say something. I want to say something. I want to, or they're like, look at me, look, look at me, look at me. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and you're like, Okay, just tell me what you, and then they, they, start, they start telling you something else. They're like taking you in a different direction. They, they want you to, 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 to zone in on them, and so they interrupt you with sighing, right? Like, this is the person who posts on Facebook, like, don't anyone ask what's going on, I'm just really upset. And then you're like, 
all right, let me send you a private message. What's wrong? And they're like, oh, you know, they're, they're asking. That's how, that's, that's kind of the feeling I get from what Jesus is, is saying here about, about fasting and the, the wrong way to do it. He says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigured their faces that their fasting might be seen by others. And so the Pharisee shuffles in, right? And his hair is all bedraggled. That's a good word, right? You know, he's all, he's all, he's looking, looking a little stressed out and maybe a little sweaty. And, you know, his face is looking a little pale and he shuffles in and he's kind of bumping into stuff. And it's like, hey man, what's up with you? You look all kind of out of sorts. You know, they didn't know well enough to say, you look like you have a low blood sugar condition right now. What's going on? You know, and then it's like, well, you know, I'm just, I'm so out of sorts because I'm fasting. And then it's like, oh, you're fasting. You're, you're a respected religious person, right? When you fast, Jesus says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces that their fasting might be seen by others. Jesus says that, they're, that they're, they're, the work, the, the activity has been invaded by the desire of the self to be seen and noticed, and that ruins it. Being noticed is their reward. They have their prize, and they will receive nothing else. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, they have received their reward. Now he moves to, to the true fasting, not the counterfeit, but, but what is real. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, right? Anoint your head. Does that mean that if you're truly fasting as a Christian, if you say, hey, I'm going to set aside some time this week and I'm going to go without food for the whole day, what kind of oil should I be putting on my head? No, no, you're missing it. Oil was like, high-quality, good cosmetic back in that day. What Jesus is saying here is, you know, make sure you go through your daily routine, and if when you leave the house in the morning on normal days you glisten, right, then go ahead and leave the house glistening on days that you fast too. Don't, don't show up without any makeup on and be like, you know, so that your friend's like, what is going on? And you're like, well, you know, the pastor's talking about fasting, and so I'm fasting. That's why I look so terrible. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Anoint your head, wash your face, right? You know, there's no excuse for walking out of the house a total mess because you're fasting. Why do this stuff? Because it's part of the, the work? It's part of the magic spell of doing it right? No, it's part of the disguising of the act. Because it's not about what the world sees. Because the benefit of fasting is not for the external world. Uh, the benefit of, of preaching is for the external world. You know, it'd be kind of weird if you guys were like, hey, everybody, you know, let's assemble on Sunday morning, and then you permitted me just to stand up here and think, right? You know, I'm communicating. I'm supposed to use words, and we amplify them so that you can, you can hear them and understand what's going on. Fasting doesn't provide that kind of benefit to the world. When somebody knows what is the, what is the awareness of it. Now, I would say there is probably one rule, you know, and we'll talk about this uh, in, in a sense when we talk about desires, that, that if, if you are a beast when your blood sugar gets low, you should probably tell your spouse if you're planning on fasting so that it's like, yeah, I'm just going to steer clear of, of them right now. 
until they remedy their blood sugar situation uh, and they're, they're happy. Right? In, in recovery movements, they, they use the acronym HALT to describe uh, if you're gonna, uh, occasions where you might make bad decisions. Right? Are you hungry, angry, lonely, tired? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, HALT. Hungry comes first. We make bad decisions. Have you ever gone shopping for food when you're hungry? You come out of the store, you spent like three, $400, and you're like, why did I buy all this stuff? You were hungry, and everything looked good. You know, you're opening boxes and eating stuff. You're sampling the produce as you're walking through the produce section, you know. That's, you made a bad decision. You're hungry. True fasting is in secret. Anoint your head, right? What did the, the old deodorant commercial was? Never let them see you sweat. You remember that? Never let them see that you're fasting. It's not, it's not for people. It has something to do with you and God. It's invisible to men, but visible to God. Jesus says that he will see. He is in the secret place. He knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. He's reading. You can't fool God. He knows what's going on in here. And so, so when you go out in public and you play act, that's what hypocrite means, that, that you are devoted to God, but you're just doing it to be seen, to enhance and increase your reputation and to be seen as holy. There's nothing in it. God sees that it is empty. But Jesus says that your father who sees in secret will reward. There's a, there's a secret reward to be given for those who conceal their acts of devotion towards God and don't put them on as a play for people to see, to attract their attention or to entertain them or to increase our own reputation. Fasting Praying and giving are for the secret, for the inner life, not the external life. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is, is where? It is within you. The kingdom of God does not come in eating and drinking, but in righteousness, joy, and the Holy Spirit, Paul says. Speaking not of, of tangible external things, but of internal things. Listen, today... Oh, I have to be very careful that I don't boast here. Let's, let's start that sentence over. Okay, imagine if I were to say, you know what, I am going to go home and put on um, one of my prized Christmas gifts. I'm going to go put on my Aaron Rodgers number 12 Green Bay Packers jersey, and I am going to get in the car and go to Lambeau Field because I have everything that I need. I'm going to see if they're going to put me in. It's not going to happen, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Football? Yeah, okay. I'm, tr I'm trying to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. No, I think I, I do know what I'm talking about. It's, there's something that's going on inside of that guy, right? Aaron Rodgers. They put a jersey on him because of what is in him, because of what he can do. It's not the, the, the uniform that makes the man, right? It's the man who earns the uniform. In the same way, fasting is about something going on inside of us, not just what we're doing with our body. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's an internal thing, not an external thing. So why fast? Let me share three reasons with you. 
Um, one is that we're leaving aside something to devote ourselves to prayer and meditation on the things of God, on his purposes and intents in our lives. Leading, leaving something aside in order to devote ourselves to prayer and to meditation. Giving up television, right? Think about how we fast in practice, even if it can't be religious, right? You're thinking, I have an assignment to do at work. I have to bring this work home. I have to get this done. Oh, there's something on TV that I want to watch. I'm going to go without. I leave this aside to devote my attention to this. We do this all the time, right? Yeah. Put the phone down and focus, right? That's the way that we, that we have to live. We, we, we practice this regularly. This is leaving aside that which distracts and blocks us so that we might devote ourselves to the things of God. A second reason why we fast is in some way it can be a good work. Job, in, in Job 31, 17, in, in claiming his own, he's inspecting himself and he's speaking of his own righteousness. He, he says, if I've eaten my morsel alone and not shared it with the fatherless, then, then I'm guilty. I'm guilty of selfishness. And in a way, when we, when we give away what we have to someone else and we put ourselves in a, in a position of voluntary poverty, we are embracing a kind of fast. It can be a, a good work. This, is, this comes from some scholars. I'm kind of like, yeah, I can see what you're saying. I'm hearing that. I, I, okay, we're good. But, but this third point kind of brings it to the place where where there's a reason why when we fast, we are generally speaking of food. And that's this. When we fast, we are confronting an easy-to-please appetite in order to cultivate a more difficult appetite, a more important one. When we, when we fast, we're confronting an easy-to-please appetite in order to cultivate a more difficult and more important one. Fasting is self-discipline. It is, it is putting the self under control. It's saying, self, when you get hungry, you start to get a little nasty, right? When you, when you are feeling physical cravings, those cravings tend to push aside your sense of, of knowing what is right. And food is one of those Areas in which the, the self rises up and takes control. The Pharisee turns fasting into a work that makes him better than the tax collector. Remember that? When, when the Pharisee and the tax collector are standing at the temple in Jesus' example, he says, the Pharisee says, Lord, I thank you that, that you've made me as I am. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of everything that I've got. Thanks that I'm not like that guy. The tax collector beats his breast and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, one of them goes home justified and the other doesn't. If this is not a, a, a work that we engage to, to earn points with God or to increase our righteousness, it has everything to do with the fact that our appetites have a way of getting out of control. We're saved by grace. We cannot earn more grace by working harder or afflicting ourselves. The righteousness of Jesus is given to us by faith 
because he took the burden of our sins upon himself so that we would not need to pay that price. He took the death penalty so that we could be free of our sin. And we have a a habit because of the way that we function and the way that we interact with others. We have a habit of turning prayer, giving, and fasting into something that enhance our status before God. Instead of seeking to discipline ourselves to depend more on him and to increase our appetite for him. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, train yourself for godliness. Or in other versions, discipline yourself for godliness. Think about how all of our technological advances as humans consume our time and distract us from God. There's an endless list of books to read, movies and TV shows to watch on Netflix, right? We have a term for this now. When I was a kid, there was no endless Netflix, right? You know, uh, a TV show would come on. Unless they were doing a marathon, you would have to, like, wait until the next day to watch another episode. Now you can binge watch, right? When a, when a TV show comes out on Netflix, the whole season is there for you, and you can just start at episode one and, and, and not go to work and do your job and just watch all the way to the end. It's possible now to, to, to just endlessly fill yourself with the exact thing that you want to consume. There are an endless wall of Facebook statuses to com- on, comment on, pictures to like, videos to watch, cards or comics to collect, sports facts to gather, games to watch, news to consume, stocks to keep your eye on, relationships to maintain, sleep to catch up on, vitamins to take, runs to run, political junk to consume, All of these activities feed our reliance and our confidence in ourselves. And on some level and in some way, they are all good in themselves. But if they screen or filter out what is best, then what is good becomes the enemy of what is best. All of these things make us feel like we are in charge. We have the power, like we are the powerful ones. And they feed this disconnect that we have between ourselves and the God who made us. They obscure the fact that we need to be completely connected to him if we are to have any spiritual or vital power at all. Fasting demonstrates to us that knowledge of God is not the same as appetite for God. Love for God is not the same as knowing facts about God. Fasting puts our personal appetites into perspective and says to God, you are my desire more than food. Having greater goals means that we must Engage discipline. Desiring more than what we presently have, desiring some greater experience or some greater attainment means we must say no at times to the good so that we can say yes to what is best. I know because I once was at a place where people were running a 5K that athletes like to eat junk food too, particularly after they run a run. But many athletes, right, leading up to that, say no to junk food because it will sabotage them. They discipline themselves for the sake of the game. 
Those who we might consider rich love orange juice too, but they don't buy it when they go out for breakfast. Why? Because it's cheaper to buy it in the store. And it's expensive to buy it when they're out. They discipline themselves and put themselves under control to conserve their resources. Someone who dreams of one day buying a boat or a nicer house or some other large ticket item saves and saves and risks buying the gimmicky overpriced stuff they sell in the aisle on the way out to Walmart. Have you seen it? Giant lighter, right? You know, like what is that? It's like a, a little tiny lighter that's like this big. It's like who needs that thing? But the person who feels that spark when they see it, and they're like, oh, I must have that to be complete. <laughs> they just buy it, and they spend the $6 for it. And then they get home, and they're like, why did I buy this? You were manipulated by your lack of discipline. People who love what they consider best more than just the feeling of feeling good say no to that kind of stuff. They discipline themselves. Think of all those people who they were checking out and thought, I need a Duck Dynasty bobblehead. Where's all that stuff now? Like, does anybody have a collection of all that stuff somewhere in their house? Somewhere. But it fades, right? Fasting says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. That's what Jesus said. He left food aside as a secondary concern to share the gospel with the woman at the well. Fasting says, break me of my lesser desires. This is not that our desires are bad, but that they have a tendency to dominate. More on that in just a second. Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4 says that liars say that marriage is bad and food is to be abstained from, but God created them to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And so we can see that what is good can be enjoyed and celebrated, but it can get out of control and conceal that which is best. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Consider for just a second how physical appetites, whether they're for sleep or for sex or for food or any other thing, how they can be the enemy of what's best. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. How can our physical appetites for food master us? Our appetites and desires are to be focused on God, and food might be a distraction at times. Rather than turn to God for comfort or guidance or freedom from anxiety, we turn to a gift he has given us and not to him. We get stressed and so we eat instead of pleading with him because eating brings a sense of pleasure. I am sad. I will go into the freezer. Our freezer's on the bottom, not on the top anymore. I will open up that drawer and feel the satisfying click, click, click. And if, if, if I am lucky... The other males who live in my house will not have consumed the last scoops of Turkey Hill Double Dunker ice cream. It is so good. 
It is so good. It is coffee ice cream with cookies in it. It's so good. And then I feel better when I eat it, right? I'm satisfied. I have rewarded myself for being in existence. <laughs> Instead, now don't, no, listen, this is what happens when we preach and share the gospel of grace and we, we speak of, of attaining higher things. Here's what happens many times. We speak of grace and the goodness of Jesus and the gospel, and, and we see God in all of his purity and holiness for a second. And then what the devil does is he tries to lift up a great big sign that says, do more. You're not good enough unless you do more. And he obscures the goodness of God with this giant sign that says, you're not good until you do this. Don't hear that, okay? That is not what I'm saying when I'm talking about fasting, that you're not good enough unless you fast twice a week or you do this or you do that or you, 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 you look at ice cream and you say, you're bad. Because that's not what Jesus is saying. Food is good. These people at Turkey Hill who are inventing this stuff, they need the awards. Let's give them a peace prize, right? You know, somebody ought to say, you're doing good work there. Keep going. But what happens is we naturally take everything and we turn it into an idol or some lesser satisfaction if we're not discerning. And, and we, we leave behind our devotion to the Lord in subtle ways. How many of us who have strayed for a season or walked away for a time or, or wound up in a world of hurt because of decisions we made started at the moment of the decision and said, I'm going to ruin my life? Or did we just say, man, I'll just do this, right? You know, there was a time when there was a, an, an, an enormous amount of, of stress going on in our house because of physical sicknesses, and it was so, so, so easy just to pull up to the window and say, medium coffee with cream and sugar and two sour cream donuts, please twice a day. You know what happens when you do that for a long time? It's like 45 pounds. You're suddenly like, why are all my pants exploding? Well, I made that choice every single time at the window. Over and over and over. It didn't just happen once. I didn't just say, like, load 45. Have you ever tried to pick up 45 pounds? You're like, Ugh. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's the, it's the incremental decisions. And fasting is turning the, the laser-like eye on desire and saying, stop pushing and bossing me around. C.S. Lewis says this. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on playing with mud in the front yard because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a vacation at the beach. And then he says these six words. We are far too easily pleased. Think of all the things that distract us. 
well, we don't, I, don't, I don't have time for a Bible study. I don't have time to get up and read God's word. I'm just so, so busy. Well, I think if, if, if you were to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast from television for a time. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast and, and, and leave aside the phone and leave aside the food and I'm going to pray. You'll suddenly become aware, one, of how difficult it is to do these things. To, to turn your heart and your mind over, to meditate and focus like a laser on the word of God and on his goodness. But you also find exactly how much time you spend doing other things. Have you ever loaded one of those apps that tracks how much time you spend doing things on your phone? Oh, unless you want to know, don't do it. Because you'll be like, there is no way that I spent that much time on Facebook. But let me tell you, if you've fallen into the Facebook hole, right, you know, you realize like that, that oh, I'll just check, turns into like two hours, like that. It's super easy. Just like we were watching the, uh, the whatever team it was get crushed by the Patriots last night, and it was like, it's 11.30. How did that happen? It was 8 o'clock 10 minutes ago. Fasting says no to the physical desire for food. It's a practice of faith that pushes down one desire, the easy one, to push beyond for the more difficult one. It's not starvation, it's not dieting, it's not self-punishment, but it's bringing the hard-to-tame flesh under the magnifying glass and saying, what are you doing? It's awkward to talk about this, because it's not popular to talk about self-discipline and denial. The minute that you say, Jesus demands that you take up your cross and follow him. People are like, I just came here. I wanted salvation. I didn't expect it to be difficult. I, no, no, that's too much. I can go find someone who will tell me that it's easy. That's true. That's true. You can find someone, but it's not true. It's not what Jesus really taught. It's tricky to teach about fasting and, and self-discipline because it can turn into a source of pride for some or for a hammer that you hit yourself with to judge yourself. I don't fast enough. I don't pray enough. I don't read the Bible enough. My, my mentor, he used to ask me, he said, when, when we were preaching on a rotation, he would say, if you're going to preach on Bible study or prayer, if you're going to say, read your Bible more to people, I want you to tell me in advance because those are easy sermons to preach. Because many people in church are, are addicted to feeling bad, guilt. And it's easy to make people feel like, I don't do enough. But that's not the gospel of grace. Jesus is sufficient. He is enough. He takes us all across the finish line. The question is, is do we arrive there with a heart that is sold out and cultivated with an appetite for God? We will spend all eternity with him and yet, it is so easy to focus on this world and to allow the time to pass and not to cultivate an appetite that says, I am ready to spend eternity with you. It's also crushing to teach about fasting because those who aren't in the practice can reach for too much instead of starting small. They despise the day of small things and they say, I'm going to go on a 40-day absolute fast. Don't do it. That is not what I'm saying. Jesus said, when you fast, 
not if you fast. And that means that this is a discipline that should be part of the Christian life. When, when do they start? The disciples of John came to the disciples of Jesus. They came to Jesus, rather, and said, Why do your disciples not fast? Jesus' response was, How can they fast when the bridegroom is with them? We won't fast in eternity. Our desire will be with us. The one who saved us, the one who is the all and all, will be with us for all eternity. But Jesus said, when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast. And so we're called in the Christian life to fast now. We do not see him, and so it's easy to forget him when an easier desire is in front of us. And so in fasting, we say no to the self and say, increase my desire and my joy and my faith and my hope and my love to God. And we say, change me as I deprive myself from that which is easier to satisfy. I don't know who said it, but it needs to be turned into a bumper sticker for Christians. That we are educated far beyond our obedience. What Christians need is not more information in general. What they need is the simple wisdom of putting into practice what they already know. Fasting helps us to say, I'm struggling in this situation. I am anxious and nervous, but I have you. I want you more than I want to be satisfied with lesser lesser pleasures. Thank you for the food that you've given, but the true food and sustenance comes from you and your word. Okay, closing it down. In the scriptures, people also fasted to show repentance and to indicate that they were seeking the face of God and preparing for him to do great work. Moses went up on the mountain, didn't eat for 40 days, right? And then God gave him the law. Ezra fasted to demonstrate his brokenheartedness at the sins of the Israelites who were just who were who were ignoring God's law in their midst. And so so he he tore his garments and sat before the Lord. When Paul was confronted by the Lord on the Damascus road and told, Jesus told him to stop persecuting him and he was blinded, he prayed and did not eat or drink for three days until Ananias came to restore his sight and to share the grace of God with him. And Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days before the beginning of his ministry. Now, I don't think it's wise to just get up here and throw this fasting bomb at you and say, you should do this without giving you just some some practical, okay? In February, we're going to be focusing on our mission in the pulpit. Sermons are still going to be from the scriptures. They'll be exegetical. They're just not all going to be from Matthew. They're going to be from different texts. But I really want to laser focus in on who we are as a church, what we're called to, and to try to try to crank some rusty gears into into motion and to get us focused more on what makes us unique and what God has called this church to do that only we can do. A chance to pray as a church about who we are, to dig deep and ask the Lord, what are we supposed to do, Lord, that only we can do? We live in a culture that has forgotten God in part, and has never known God 
in part. And so we can pray and fast for revival. We can pray that those who know God or know of God would remember and return as the gospel comes to them. And we can fast and pray for awakening, a learning and an embracing by those who've never known about the good news of who Jesus is. And so I want to ask you if you would join me in fasting and praying. Three caveats, and then I'll propose what I'm proposing, close down in prayer. One, you need to ask yourself if it's mesically you need to ask yourself if it's medically wise. Talk to your doctor if fasting is right for you. <laughs> and you also need to ask yourself, is it right for right now? I might say what I'm going to propose, and you'll say, that won't work for me. That's fine. What, what will work for you? Ask yourself uh, uh, a question of, that's, that's, that, that's situationally aware. What's the right time? What works for you in the midst of your work-life-family balance? And then... Ask yourself, is it right for you right now? Uh, kids, talk to your parents, right? Make sure you're being wise. Don't be like, Pastor Keith said I have to do this, and then, you know, like mess up an exam or something. Um, and then just a real sensitive word. Uh, if you've ever struggled with some kind of eating issue, this might be a trap. You need to be wise about this. But here's what I'm proposing, and this is what I've been what I've been doing. Wednesdays, from waking until one o'clock. Wednesdays from waking until one o'clock. Just moving into the day, drinking water, getting the day started, but spending time asking, searching, praying. Lord, would you bring awakening? Salisbury would you bring revival to Salisbury the central problem that I'm going to encounter in my life in seeing that happen is going to be myself and my own contentedness with lesser things would you rid me of that and prepare me to be used by you for your glory would you do something great that I could not possibly imagine? Get me ready for that, if you please. So that's what I've been doing. Maybe that doesn't work for you, but it's a, it's a possibility. The question that Jesus calls us to when he says, when you fast, is he is saying, would you empty yourself that I might fill you? Would you reject lesser hunger so that you could be satisfied with a deeper and more filling food. Why would you settle for Royal Farms sushi when Sushi de Kampai is downtown? And it's, it's, it's superior. Why, why would you write, why would you ever write anything with a dollar store pencil, right? You know the ones that look like Christmas, you get them at birthday parties and stuff. My kids are like, I want to use this pencil. And you're like sharpening them and the tips keep falling off over and over and over again, right? You know, when you could grab a Dixon Ticonderoga number two, <laughs> that is a pencil, right? Like it's, it's, it's like, that's what writing should feel like. Not like snap, snap, snap. Why would you fill yourself up 
with steakums from the microwave. When you know that you're going to Ruth's Chris, right? Why would you do that to yourself? Don't settle just for the earthly and for the satisfaction that comes from feeding the physical appetites. Those are gifts from God, but they pale in comparison to the giver. Hey, the fighter verse. Psalm 16, verse 11. It says this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do we believe that? And do we live like that is true in the way that God has called us to? Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for your grace and your kindness. I pray that in all that's been said, that we would not allow the devil to weigh us down with the weight of law, but instead that we would, we would see this as, as a step in the running of the race. The journey of a thousand miles, they say, begins with a single step. The energy to complete the race is not always there in the beginning. The greats who can... Who can ice skate and do all kinds of twists and flips and jumps and the football players who can, who can throw and, and catch, they did not just decide to put on a jersey and go out on the field, but instead they disciplined themselves and practiced. May we as a family be those who see this tool that you have given us for the transformation of our hearts and minds by your grace. May we engage it by your grace and for your glory. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who's like, I have no idea what's being said this morning. They just, they, they, they came here uh, and, and, and they don't know you. I pray that they would know and understand and talk to somebody about the fact that they can be freed from what separates them from you, their sins, and they can experience righteousness and wholeness because of what Jesus has done. Because you're good. We pray this, Lord. We thank you. We lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.